What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Skydiving. This is amazing. Yeah, but you know what else is amazing? An iPhone 6S for just 49 bucks at Metro. Really? Imagine streaming all the way down with that amazing camera. I'm switching. That's smart. You know what else is smart? Parachutes. Woo! Switch to Metro and get an amazing iPhone 6S for only 49 bucks. Metro by T-Mobile. Phone offer requires port in of number not currently active on T-Mobile network or active on Metro in past 90 days. See store for details and terms and conditions. What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Hardwood Knocks. This is Adam Frommel here with Dan Favalli and Andrew Bailey. And we are also joined today by Alec Nathan. He is a featured columnist for Bleacher Report. He is a tortured Philadelphia 76ers fan. So we had to bring him on in the wake of the news that Sam Hinkie is out. After 34 months of trusting the process, we're going to move on to the next phase of 76ers basketball. And I don't think Alec is too happy about it. Uh, I'm not too happy, but I am happy to be back, even though the last time we talked, it was also on not happy terms, discussing how bad this team would be this season. They've been just as bad as we thought. So this is pretty unpleasant, but ready to turn turn over a new leaf and uh, see what the Colangelos are going to do. How did you feel about his letter? Uh, At first... The iPhone XR is here at T-Mobile, and there's a whole lot to love, like those perfect portrait mode selfies you're going to share. Nice. And how emojis now turn every FaceTime with the kids into fun time. <laughs> in fact, the only thing you'll love more than your iPhone XR is getting it included in the price when you get an unlimited plan. That's right. Get both unlimited and iPhone XR included for just 40 bucks a month. Sure, you can get unlimited somewhere else. But for the same price at T-Mobile, you get unlimited and iPhone XR. Join today and get iPhone XR included with your unlimited plan for just 40 bucks a line for four new lines. Call 1-800-T-MOBILE or visit a store today. $30 for essentials plus $10 for iPhone XR with auto pay and qualifying trade-ins via 36 bill credits. Customers may notice lower speeds and further reduction if using more than 50 gigs per month. Video at 480p for well-qualified buyers plus taxes and fees. Contact us before canceling or remaining balances due. Qualifying service and finance agreements required. Zero down plus $20.84 per month for 36 months. Full price $749.99, 0% APR. I thought this sounds right, and I thought it was going to be 13 pages outlining what he had done, and it was that in a sense, but when I really dove into it, I was like, this looks like an extended syllabus for like a college curriculum almost. I was, I was just so confused. And finally, I got to like page 10 or 11, and then he's finally talking about the progress they made and the plan. And I actually thought it was interesting when he said, you know, in my letter to Josh Harris in 2012, he says, uh, I laid out this vision and I cited, uh, you know, Stan Van Gundy's 09 Magic team and Mike D'Antoni's seven seconds or less sons. And he said, this is where the game is going. And then he says, and look at the Warriors. So he's kind of like rubbing it in their face. Like, look, I told you this was going to happen. Um, not that that was a wholly original concept, but those owners probably needed to hear it. 
And I think what he said was right at the end, which was basically kind of a middle finger. He was like, listen, I put you guys in a good position to succeed. Look at all the assets you have. Look at the cap space. He says you have the best chances to get a number one pick in under, you know, in lottery history, basically, since this format was introduced. So, you know, I had, I think, 13 pages excessive, but I understand what he was doing. And I understand that's part of his M.O. My thought on the 13 pages um... I don't know how many of you listened to the low post with Sam Hinkie on there. Uh, he, he almost feels, or it almost seems like he's gotten to a point where he's defensive. Uh, it sounds like he's sick and tired of criticism of his approach and his process and everything. And I don't know Sam Hinkie personally, and the most I've ever heard from him was that low post episode. Uh, but it almost feels like writing this really academic sounding 13 page letter to the front office is almost like, hey, everybody who's who's been crapping on my process the last three years, I'm not stupid. Like I'm a really smart guy. And here's why. And then it, and then it gets leaked to the media so that everyone in the world can read it. It just seems kind of weird to me. I think it was definitely contrived, but I don't really have a problem with him giving this FU because from what he said in the letter, and I, it was excessive and you, you could so tell that he was trying to make these digs. But he talked about the meeting that he had both on the low post and in that letter. And this this is a guy, judging from what he said in the letter and on that podcast, he didn't really leave a stone unturned when he would interview with this team. I'm sure he told them this was going to be a five to seven year process. And for them to give up on him essentially halfway through just because it was bad, that seems more on them. I get he's had, you know, you had the bad 2014 draft. Those your two top picks haven't even played yet. But this is what you were supposed to be in for. And it seems like Kinky was banking on the owners being as patient as he was. And then all of a sudden they ripped the ground out from underneath him with Jerry Colangelo. So I could understand the spite and everything he said. I just, so, I can't even imagine getting a 13 page letter. First of all, like I'm just trying to picture the scene where this, this email or handwritten or whatever it was comes through to everybody he was sending it to. And they're just like, okay, we're going to have some intern read this and then just summarize it for us because we don't want to read all of this. So back to Dan made a point about, you know, ownership giving up. I think ownership, I I place so much blame with ownership on this. This is so, I mean, I know he technically stepped down, but reading everything I've read today that says, you know, they wanted him to accept diminished responsibilities within, you know, within networking with agents and negotiating and basically move into an analytics role. The fact that they thought after three years of working experience with him that he would accept that knowing all they know and then (laughs) to have this happen. And now they're bringing in Brian Colangelo, which is we can get to that. But I (laughs) think ownership hasn't made ownership hasn't made one sound move other than really hiring Hanky. And then, which led to them hiring Brett Brown. Everything else they've done has been more or less a disaster. They're all on some disastrous scale. Do we place the blame for this fully on the owners, though? Or does the NBA have to play a part in it, too? Because Jerry Colangelo wasn't just a Sixers idea. It was the NBA saying, this product isn't acceptable. We need you to hire somebody to have oversight in there. And I'm not sure they knew what that would lead to at the time. Right. I think I think that's that that plays a part in it. But also, do we think ownership sort of gave in to 
other owners wishes because other owners pushed that to the NBA, right? They said, or and agents too, they said, listen, this isn't good for our business. This looks bad. And then they pushed for Colangelo. And at the time too, the way they framed it, Josh Harris was like, nope, Sam is the guy and Jerry is just going to sort of open things up for us a little. But clearly that didn't happen because everything I read today from Woj indicates that Colangelo basically deemed Hinky, you know, expendable at a certain point. You mentioned Brian Colangelo, and obviously we were going to get to that. Uh, what is what is the reaction when the Sixers actually do land the number one pick this year, and Brian <laughs> Colangelo is the one that gets to make it? The, the, the immediate reaction is going to be, don't take you know, Bargnani 2.0. I don't know if this draft has one. Dragon. Uh, yeah, so I was going to say that, but I frankly have not watched enough or read enough about him to know if he's really the same mold or whatever. But, I mean, my fear... Listen, I'm... I like Ben Simmons as a prospect for so many teams. I don't like him for this team because they already have... They have a point forward in Saric who supposedly has an opt-out after the summer. We'll see if he comes. They have Nerlens, they have Joel, they have Okafor, and you bring another guy who can't shoot, and it just doesn't help this offense that's dying for spacing and dying for someone who can take the reins. But So I want them to take Brandon Ingram, but I have no idea if Colangelo is qualified to make a decision that educated. But <laughs> I just oh, think man. it's funny if they do, it, they do land the number one pick this year, they, they hit a home run, they get Brandon Ingram fits perfectly or... Ben Simmons turns out to be able to shoot after like six months. I wonder how many people will actually be willing to acknowledge the fact that it was the process and it did work. Or if they'll just say, oh, well, you know, it worked that they switched to Colangelo. I, certainly people will understand that this is still the fruits of Hinky's right. labors. Yeah, this is his legacy. I mean, he put them in place to succeed five, ten years from now. And he, he made that very clear in the letter, and I thought that was smart. And I thought that was my main takeaway was, you know, he did what he said he would do, but they grew impatient, the Colangelo thing happened, and then everything blew up in their face. It was what just you... stunningly impatient, right? I mean, three years, less than three years into a long-term plan, and he never maintained any pretenses that this was anything but a long-term plan. And, I, I mean, my, my reaction yesterday when this news came out was just was thinking it's going to be hilarious when Brian Colangelo wins executive of the year next year after yep. the 76ers make the playoffs because they bring in Embiid, Saric, have all these number have all these first round picks that that Hinky got. Yeah. Yeah, they should ship one to Hinky's house wherever he moves. <laughs> what would be I guess aside from the NBA's influence, uh, even if the NBA did sort of, you know, put this whole these the wheels in motion with the Jerry Colangelo thing it still falls to me on the Sixers ownership for letting it happen it, it's their team yep, I agree and they didn't have to right they didn't have to give in right so unless the what, NBA gave a mandate right so what is their reasoning for being for all of a sudden becoming stunningly impatient like what could sink uh sinky what could hinky have misled them on <laughs> like i know we had I a bad think... i know we had a bad 2014 draft but we look at, let's say, the Joel Embiid pick. What team in their position wouldn't have taken Joel Embiid with that pick? Right. The Saric pick is probably worse. Was that draft even worse. bad? Like, can we say that draft was bad yet? 
It looks Embiid bad is now. looking like he's going to play next year. Sarge is looking like he's going to play next year. And it, I mean, you can't judge a player after even two seasons. I so. don't. So, so I don't think this was a product of Hinky of the moves he had made. I really don't. I think this is a product of him or the perception of him being antisocial and being this guy who couldn't really network and wasn't as receptive to Colangelo's ideas as he wanted him to be. And ultimately, I think Colangelo probably talked to Josh Harris and David Blitzer and said, you know, listen, to advance the franchise and to really, you know, remodel the uh, the perception of the franchise from the outside, you can't have this guy at the controls. So I, that's what I think, at least. Let's. Do you guys mind if I change gears? I just want to, for, for the sake of argument, see if we can find the other side here. Like, there is something to the fact that Sixers fans have been waiting for three years, right? And you, I, it's hard to put any fan base through that. Particularly, I I would say the Philadelphia fan base is maybe uh, more engaged than others. Um, yeah. So is is there some is there some sort of a logical reason for all this from the other side? I mean, I thought I mean I thought a good segment of the fan base was on board with this strategy, right? I mean, you guys are at, more active online within NBA stuff than I am, but I, like to me, everyone thirty five and under is like, yes, this is the strategy. Like boom, like we're going boomer bust basically. So I, I mean. Do I see the rationale for it from the other side? Yes, but do I agree with it given the way things are headed now? Do we Can think you... it's something do we think it's something that Hanky could have maybe salvaged by, you know, I think everyone would have to admit that he didn't do a very good job explaining himself after he got the job. He really wasn't in the media. He's even admitted that. That might have been a good suggestion by Colangelo. Cool. And then the other thing was was he you know, being, for lack of a better word, a jackass in these letters to ownership all the time? Like, was this par for the course, his behavior? Well, so Sam Amick reported something like that last night. He said, you know, you know, anyone in the ownership group who knows Hinky knows that this sort of correspondence isn't really rare, which, I, which you know, I immediately was like, are you kidding me? Like, <laughs> you know, that's not how inner, inner office emails should work, really? But what do I know? <laughs> No, that so is, then I guess go ahead, Dan. I, I mean, I'm just still trying to wrap my head around, like you said, try and find the other side. And I, I feel like we can only oversimplify it. Like, wow, the Sixers were really bad and the Sixers don't want to be really bad. So they got rid of the guy who made them really bad, even though he told them that, hey, we're going to be really bad. Like, I'm and just trying to even, understand that logic. I can even think- beyond that, I'm not really sure, like, where are you going to change things? Like, even they're, if the right. Colangelo's are in charge, they're still going to use these draft picks. They're still going to try and get those 2014 picks on board. And it's going to be the exact same team that it would have been under Hinky. The optics are just a little different. The only right. thing I can right. think of for ownership, um, in addition to what I said to start this off, is, you know, maybe Sam Hinky did sell him on a certain vision when he took over and they, were, they bought into it at that time. But two and a half, three years later, uh, they they see sort of their returns and box office sales, memorabilia sales, stuff like that, and they maybe got a little bit of a cold feet and said, "We, I don't know if we could survive this for three or four more years." Yeah, I mean, you can you don't sell to. Basically, what excites fans about the Sixers now is the summer, 
the prospect of the draft, prospect of free agency trades. You don't sell tickets to those things. Right. So I have a question for you guys about the Colangelo thing. So Brian Colangelo is the guy, you know, it's expected to be uh, formally announced sometime this week. But so (laughs) he comes in, he works with his dad. Based on everything we know about their past, what's like the ideal look for them in free agency this summer? Because Hinky said on the low post, you know, Lowe said something along the lines of, you know, you could target mid-tier, or you overpay for mid-tier guys, basically. But that's fine, because the cap is going up and you have the most cap space in the league. But it's not like, I mean, granted, Hinky may be not an attractive negotiating partner for agents, but like... Are they really going to get anyone better than they would have in the first place at this point? Because I don't think so. I, I can't imagine that any big-name free agent is going to sit there and be like, maybe I should consider Philadelphia now that they've fired Sam Hinkie. But that's not what's going to go through their heads. Right. Instability is a worse look than whatever it was before. I mean, they, were, they weren't exactly stable before but they were in a better spot now that like you said the optics are just it's awful maybe it's like a thing hinky didn't have a good reputation for dealing with players as people he keeps coming back to assets and i think he even admitted that maybe he i know you're supposed to be detached as an executive but maybe he was too detached but at that point it's like i still i can't imagine that being like his downfall (laughs) speaking of this can i bring up my favorite part of the letter I, my favorite, favorite part was when he goes, it's the it's January 2014, and he's in the hospital with his wife. Um, same hospital where I was born, actually. And he goes, he goes, and I'm talking to the Heat about making this trade to absorb Joel Anthony and get two second-round picks, and Danny Ainge makes it because I'm, like, you know, napping on and off where we've got no sleep. And then he says he cast an executive of the year vote, the only one that year, for Danny Ainge. Because he got two second-round picks in like the, so Miami could get the cap space to get Tony Douglas. Like, the most mundane trade you've ever seen. And that's, like, what clicked for Hank. He was like, oh, that's the guy who's ahead of everyone else. Like, that just killed me. That was actually my second favorite part of the letter. The first was definitely when he referred to the fans as wallets, which is just great. Like, talk about twisting the knife a little bit. Um, I think my personal favorite part was uh, the anecdote with his executive assistant where he like <laughs> used her as a symbol, uh, this profound symbol for how transient his tenure with Philly is going to be. I thought, <laughs> I'm not going to lie, part of that letter like made me want, I would follow Sam Hinkie into hell at parts of it. Just because he made, he made so much, it made so much sense at points and it makes you wonder, maybe he should have come out and said things like this more respectfully earlier and again it's hard right. people would have respected him more yeah and maybe maybe even ownership just because the optics would have been a little bit better maybe the ownership maybe the nba becomes more receptive to what they're doing because he's clearly right. you can't absolve him of all blame but i'm right. just amazed at all the adverse reactions like to this letter in terms of just decrying hinky like i don't think he's acting like he's done everything right and that his model is the only model. I think he was just saying, this is what I was doing. I told him, I told you what I was doing and you won't let me do it. So that's an interesting point. So if he's more vocal and sort of, and he's out there doing more press and actually explaining this in maybe more harsh terms, 
and kind of taking a more robust stance, do you think do you think this happens? I would still be tempted to say yes, just because of the timing of when it did anyway. You know, like this summer is when everything was supposed to happen. All the first round picks that they've been acquiring, the injured guys and the overseas guys are going to come over. So if they're not going to give him that chance, mm-hmm. I don't think whatever he said was going to make a difference. What could he have done differently then? I guess this was this just the point <laughs> right. where his plan, it, it was like the Sixers bit off more than they could realistically chew. Like maybe, like maybe this sounded so good in theory, and then Alec even made the point, once you start looking at box office sales, and I feel like the Philly fan base, the ones that are loyal, are incredibly loyal, but I, yep. I don't necessarily feel like the Sixers are popular around Philadelphia. So I, I just but, think it's a situation where they didn't know what they were getting into, and Hanky probably had a better idea, and he probably believed that they had a good idea when they really did not. Can I say one thing? I feel so bad for Brett Brown. Like, I don't care that he just got a contract extension. I feel so bad for this guy. Like, he's been thrown 10-day contract after 10-day contract for the last three three years, right? Yeah. Yeah, for the last three years. (laughs) And he churns over personnel, and and he's dealing with, like, fringe D-League talent sometimes and he's really made the most of it and like his repayment is repetitive organizational shakeup. It's like that's no way to treat the person and he's their mouthpiece. He was talking when Hinky wouldn't. He's the one who has to answer all these questions that he doesn't even have answers to. It's ridiculous. I wonder if Brett Brown there's like a little part of him that's kind of relieved now because maybe you think now that maybe the Colangelos will bring in more steady pieces for us even if it's mid-tier guys how? that they have to overpay <laughs> for at least I'll have like the same roster for an entire season that's got to be at least a little comforting for So I coach. think I think that's definitely something that has to be considered I, he said something today he said I feel bad for Sam because he won't get to see this through basically Sort of like, yeah, he laid all the groundwork and he did everything over the last three years so we could get to this point. And, you know, Brett's been committed to whatever the process has been or changed to be. And, I mean, I think he would love some more, some steadier players. I mean, he says it, when they brought Ish Smith in, he couldn't stop gushing for two weeks because he, he played like a, an average or slightly below average NBA point guard. Like, and he was ecstatic about that. Like, Imagine if they sign like who's who's like an average point guard on the on the market this summer they could sign. We should Jeremy should Lin look up Jeremy Lin. He would be ecstatic. Agency. He would he would go nuts. <laughs> like so, their best bet at adding the type of talent that it seems like they want or going to try to get. Like you would have to the max guys are out. They're not coming to Philly on a max yeah. contract. You have to go after the guys who don't have a defined market value. Like are they willing to go? People are saying that Kemp Bazemore is going to get between 10 and 12 million a year. Are the Sixers willing to give him 15 or a Damari Carroll contract? And do you really want that to happen? I think the whole point of the Hinky tenure was that that's not how you win. Right. right. Like if you're making those moves, you're not going to win a championship. Right. It was we're not going to overpay for for fifth and sixth men. It was we're going to draft superstars and hoard assets and trade for building blocks and then we'll add and then those guys will want to come here and we won't have to overpay for them. I think I th- I do think maybe his one failure or maybe something that might have changed where everyone viewed it 
he didn't really put these assets that he hoarded to incredible use. I think uh, Tom Ziller was talking about it, where he kept taking chances on undefined assets, where if you could have packaged together some of these pieces, because I do think there's value in already having good players to help your other players develop. Like, this is an extreme example, but Kristaps Porzingis doesn't become the second-best rookie in the NBA if Melo isn't in New York. I'm convinced. And that's what makes it so tough to judge a guy like Nerlens Noel or, or even Julio Okafor. So maybe sure, if he bad. was a bit more aggressive there, perhaps I that mean, helps. I mean, Elton Brand is very offended right now, but still. <laughs> Things like that, even. The veteran leadership in the locker room, like, I get that. And I feel like maybe those are changes he would have been willing to acquiesce to, like the Elton Brand signing, or, yes, I'll talk to the media more, but the whole, you know, we need to overpay for mid-tier free agents so that we can win 25 games instead of 12 like that just seems what the edict was and that's not a very good ultimatum hey but at least elton brand got mvp chance that was a success no that was carl landry <laughs> oh yeah sorry, sorry. even carl better landry. yep <laughs> i mean they're basically the same person at this point so pretty much <laughs> all right here's a here's i guess a question do we think he'll work in the nba again but do we think he, that he is going to get so. another shot at being a gm I think it'll be a while. That was actually the question yeah. I was I've been waiting to ask too. I I think he is <laughs> he's a really good guy to have behind the scenes, kind of like he was with Daryl Morey. Um, because of some of the stuff that we talked about, struggles with the media, uh, weird way of communicating with people within the office. Um, I I'm not sure he's a great number one. I, I wouldn't rule it out because I, I think he's extremely intelligent and I think his forward-looking way of uh, trying to build this Sixers team was smart. And like I said before, I think ownership just got cold feet. I think they just it, – it freaked him out a little bit. Um, so I, I wouldn't completely rule it out, but I think the fallout of this is going to take a few years to get over. What if the Sixers all of a sudden – with a bulk of this core, or say they even turn, you know, this front court logjam into a high impact player, and they're back in the playoffs within the next two years, does that make Hinky more attractive to outside teams? Because almost in a sense, whatever the Sixers do with what's in place, whether they turn it into something else or whether they develop it, that credit goes to Hinky. If they for some reason sign all these great free agents, then yeah, that really eschews the process. But whatever happens or results from this foundation. That's him. Well, I, like I said before, I hope that credit goes to Hinky. I, I think there is a world in which people will credit the Colangelos if they turn it around. I hope that doesn't oh, happen. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> no, you know it's going to happen though. Those, I, I those hope people it are the people. Those are the people who call into sports talk radio in this city <laughs> and have all the hot takes that could scorch the center of the earth. Uh, people who have actually been following the team like intently will give all that. Yeah, I th- think he gets all that credit. And uh, back to your other question, I think success over the next two, three years would undoubtedly strengthen his case. I don't know if it means he gets another job, but at least he can walk into an interview and say, look, <laughs> I mean, I held up my end of the bargain. It was five years and look where they are now. Yeah. Does anyone have a team in mind that could stomach this type of rebuild? Is there anyone that's... Pretty, like, if you're the Kings, I know I mean, they just re-upped Vlade, but, like, you've sucked when you've been trying to be good. good. Why not? 
Why not suck on purpose? <laughs> okay, okay. So the, Hinky should get hired there and then trade Cousins for Sarich and the picks and just <laughs> full circle. It'll yes. be fantastic. Everyone, he can even take Ish with him too. It's fine. <laughs> please, please, please write about that. Oh, and also he could have Robert Covington after. Did you read the Robert Covington section of that letter? Was right. Oh my goodness. He, how he ached for like 17 months because he missed on, or because they didn't sign Robert Covington as an undrafted free agent to their affiliate. That was peak. Oh. That was peak hanky. That in the second round pick <laughs> comment with Danny Ainge. Well, on that note, it feels like we've kind of exhausted the Sam Hinkie discussion, but I am smelling something. Bacon! Bacon! Where's the bacon? I smell bacon! 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 Gotta be bacon! Only one thing smells like bacon! That's bacon! Yes, folks, once again, it is time for the infamous Burns My Bacon section of the podcast, and today it's emanating from Dan Favalli's direction. Um, today I'm I have some really overcooked bacon because of the Knicks. It's been that way for the past I think twenty years or so. The report from the esteemed Mark Stein and Ian Begley of ESPN.com that Phil Jackson, still after all the Knicks have gone through, would prefer to bring Kurt Rambis on as their permanent head coach makes me want to vomit and punch a wall at the same time. I don't understand how you look at Kurt Rambis after all that's happened as a viable head coach. Not only have the Knicks not improved under him really in any way, but you had Carmelo Anthony, Jose Calderon, and Robin Lopez, and probably some others tell him that he needed to play the youngsters more when the Knicks were, were just done with the playoffs. Your players needed to tell you that, one of whom is Carmelo Anthony, who might not even want to be here anymore. And he's saying, hey, maybe you should play Jaron Grant instead of Sasha Vujicic and, and Jose Calderon. Like, that's just awful. And Kurt Rambis has, has done nothing good. What's the plus? I hate the way he uses Kristaps Porzingis. Uh, Phil clearly only likes him because he he's pretty much Phil's puppet. Uh, I know he sort of doesn't like that name, although who would? But everyone's like, well, now Phil can pretty much coach the team with Kurt Rambis there. I don't want Phil Jackson to coach the Knicks. But we've reached a point of no return in the worst way possible when fans are clamoring for James L. Mother F. and Dolan to get involved and intervene Jackson for making a horrible mistake. I don't want to pretend to know what's going behind the scenes, but Jackson clearly hasn't staged an extensive coaching shirt search where he's arrived at, hey, Kurt Rambis might be the best option, the worst coach in NBA history. He is clearly more invested in justifying his triangle, his culture, his ideals than he is in rebuilding the Knicks. And that's just sickening. But someone could tell me if that was too hot a take. But that really just made me want to vomit when I read that report. Not. No, I not think you can get all. even hotter. Yeah. I think you can get even hotter here and question whether Jackson's coaching was a little overrated back in the day anyway. <laughs> I'll give him props just for balancing Kobe Bryant's ego in any way possible. But yes, I, you know, he's never coached a team that didn't have multiple Hall of Famers on it. So that's, of course, up for question. Do you know Kurt Rambis's career coaching record? Negative. Sixty. <laughs> I know the winning percentage. It's yeah, like, the winning right, percentage like two, is twenty-eight. It's like yeah, two eighty something. He's, <laughs> Who is he's the two eighty-four and one sixty-four and one sixty-two? My favorite Kurt Rambis 
coaching um, point or Ism. whatever. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> Didn't he start Ryan Gomes over Kevin Love for a little bit in Minnesota? Yeah. Am I remembering right. that correctly? Here's what's going to happen this summer. The Knicks are going to max out Pau Gasol and then leave Porzingis on the bench because he needs to learn from Pau Gasol. Pretty much. Dan, yeah. Dan I have a very pressing question I'm going to ask you this weeks ago. How excited are you going to be when Phil maxes out Evan Turner this summer? I'll vomit then, too. I don't like <laughs> – he seems opposed – he seems deliberately opposed to shooters – uh, he gets mad whenever pick and rolls are talked about. I even noticed Rambis runs a little bit more pick and roll action. I'm sure I'm surprised Phil wants to keep him with all that. He just seems to hate everything that's going to win him basketball games. It doesn't make any sense. Like he should go after. I'm not saying the Knicks. They don't need to be involved with the names of Nicholas Batum or Kevin Durant. They could talk about Alan Crabb and get me excited because that's a good system guy. But the Knicks are just. I don't understand anything they're doing. And the last point I'll make is. I've never defended Carmelo Anthony as frequently as I have this season. He's a superstar who wants to be in New York, who has connections to other superstars, and you wouldn't let him be involved in the free agency process last year. You're not going to let him be involved in the coaching process this year. He's mentoring Porzingis, and it seems like you're trying to force him out. It, it just it makes absolutely no sense. Well, just, I'll just say this. If, if you are feeling too dissatisfied with the Sixers, Alec, or if you are too mad at the Knicks, Stan... We have room on the Hawks bandwagon. No, Wolf is going to be in Boston next year, so I don't want to jump on Atlanta's bandwagon just yet. I just had a thought while Dan was talking. Um, we have all these old-time players who refuse to credit new players for the talent, or yeah, for the talent that they have, like Oscar Robinson talking about Stephen Curry, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar talking about Dirk Nowitzki. Is Phil Jackson that mentality in a front office capacity? Yeah. I mean, he I, doesn't go out and say it, but he kind of acts like it, right? I mean, he compared Steph to Chris Jackson, right? So <laughs> I, know, I know that's not giving the full context, but... <laughs> that's true. Well, I, I mean, wasn't I think, even thinking about that. That does go into my analogy, I think. Go ahead, Dan. I think the only thing Phil does differently than those older guys is he makes everything so convoluted. When you saw like his Twitter response to hiring Derek Fisher, he took a couple hundred words to tell you absolutely nothing. Like, it's just... Everything he says is just wrapped in enigmas and these weird parables and this crappy <laughs> Buddhist jargon. It makes absolutely no sense. But to Andy's point, I do get a, like I do laugh when these older guys. Obviously, they want people to have respect for their generation, but they would probably get more if they didn't oversimplify today's games. How, how would you stop Stephen Curry? I'd defend him. Yeah, <laughs> put a okay. hand in his face. Yeah, Thanks. I'd play defense. Every time Stephen Curry pulls up from like 15 feet behind the three-point line or 10 feet or whatever, just like, okay, <laughs> they, they are picking him up at half court. They are double-teaming him on pick and rolls. He still makes shots from 30 feet. It's, it's just ridiculous. Um, we have ranted and raved for pretty much the entirety of this podcast today. We went off on the, uh, the Sam Hickey situation and, and rightfully went off on the Kurt Rambis situation as well. If you want to rant to us, about any of the uh, above or anything else on your mind, you can find us all on Twitter. Uh, I'm at Andrew D. Bailey. Adam is at Frommel09, F-R-O-M-A-L-09. Alec, I believe, is at Alec B. Nathan, correct? Yep. Um, just how, it's, how you would assume it's spelled. 
And Dan Favale is at Dan Favale, F-A-V-A-L-E. And uh, we're all at Hardwood Knox. That, the handle isn't super active, but we'll respond to you if you guys uh, reach out to us there. Uh, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Follow it on Stitcher. And uh, we will hear from you all, or you will hear from us all, again soon. Shout out to the one and only Bino Udry. He was not even in the NBA anymore. Let's chill. That makes it even better. That's all right. He's still our boy. The iPhone XR is here at T-Mobile, and there's a whole lot to love, like those perfect portrait mode selfies you're going to share. Nice. And how emojis now turn every FaceTime with the kids into fun time. In fact, the only thing you'll love more than your iPhone XR is getting it included in the price when you get an unlimited plan. That's right. Get both unlimited and iPhone XR included for just 40 bucks a month. Sure, you can get unlimited somewhere else. But for the same price at T-Mobile, you get unlimited and iPhone XR. Join today and get iPhone XR included with your unlimited plan for just 40 bucks a line for four new lines. Call 1-800-T-MOBILE or visit a store today. $30 for essentials plus $10 for iPhone XR with auto pay and qualifying trade-ins via 36 bill credits. Customers may notice lower speeds and further reduction if using more than 50 gigs per month. Video at 480p for well-qualified buyers plus taxes and fees. Contact us before canceling or remaining balances due. Qualifying service and finance agreements required. Zero down plus $2084 per month for 36 months. Full price $749.99, 0% APR. Skydiving. This is amazing. Yeah, but you know what else is amazing? An iPhone 6S for just 49 bucks at Metro. Really? Imagine streaming all the way down with that amazing camera. I'm switching. That's smart. You know what else is smart? Parachutes. Woo! Switch to Metro and get an amazing iPhone 6S for only 49 bucks. Metro by T-Mobile. Phone offer requires port in of number not currently active on T-Mobile network or active on Metro in past 90 days. See store for details and terms and conditions. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.